seated. Well, it is a great joy to be with you this day, a very, very special day when you celebrate your first Sunday in your new home. Uh, I have an idea of all, the, some of what you've been through uh, on your journey. Our parish in California also has been on a similar journey uh, and has gone through much of what you have. And the thing that uh, blesses me is that every step of the way the Lord has been with us. And I know that every step of the way the Lord has been with you. And the basic thing that I'm going to say this morning is, this may be your new home, but the journey continues. And the Lord's faithfulness continues. And the Lord's call to journey on in faith continues. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, if someone would ask me, do you like to travel? My response, particularly after having been an Army brat, I was raised as a son of an Army officer. Uh, I went to 13 schools before I graduated from high school. And so if you say, where are you from? I'll say yes. <laughs> and I've also been a missionary uh, overseas on, on a couple of occasions. And so if someone was coming to me and, say, and asked, do you like to travel? My answer would be, it depends. <laughs> and this is the story of Abraham, because God comes to Abraham this morning and invites him to take a journey. Now, one of the journeys that I took that really changed my life was when I was asked to lead a mission team into Mozambique. And Mozambique is in the southern tip of Africa. And at that time, it was the poorest country on the face of the earth. And the, uh, when we went in, uh, they had been under communist domination for 17 years. All of the churches uh, in Mozambique had been ordered closed by the communists. Not a single church service had been held in 17 years. And so I was asked to go in with a team and see what was left of the church and what was going on and what could be seen about their needs. And so we went in, and uh, one of the things that happened as we went through our, our journey and our time there is at the end of our time, they decided to have a feast. Now, we had been with the poorest people. We would literally sleep on the ground in the jungle. We would have a little bit of rice with a little bit of gruel once a day because that was the best that they had. That was all that they had to give. So when we had this idea of a feast, I got excited because I had my idea of what that was going to be like. <laughs> and then the bishop told me about the Mozambican tribal custom. And he said, Ron, since you're the head of the team, you're the chief. And because you're the chief, there are certain things that we do to honor the chief. And as he told me, I thought he was kidding, but he wasn't. And so they had a big procession. And uh, the, what made it a feast is that they, we had goat. They had barbecued a little goat. There was this cute little goat in the village compound. And when we came back that afternoon, he was no longer there. <laughs> and uh, he had been barbecued. And as the chief, I was given the honor of eating the head and the hooves of the goat. <laughs> and so I claim Mark 16. You all know Mark 16, where it says you can eat poison and it won't harm you. And I figured, well, if they could eat it, I could. And I needed to do it because they were honoring me. And so I ate the brains and the eyes and the tongue. And I looked at the hooves, and I didn't have a clue. 
And so I, I, I literally prayed and said, Lord, you're going to have to show me what to do. And the Holy Spirit came. Now, th- God answers these kinds of prayers, too. And immediately I stood up and I turned to the bishop. And I said, Bishop, could I share a word? And the bishop said, certainly. And I said, I just want to thank you for the wonderful hospitality you've given us. You've served us so sacrificially. It's such a joy to be joined in ministry together as fellow Anglican brothers and sisters. And I said, and as a sign of gratitude, I would like to share the hooves with the person on my right and the person on my (laughs) left. And everyone stood and applauded me for my graciousness. And I just kept thinking, okay, Lord, thank you. And so, who knows what will happen on a journey of faith. Now, on all the journeys that I've taken, both as a missionary and as a parish priest, and I've been on numbers of journeys every place I've been, there's three elements in every journey I've taken with the Lord that get repeated every time. And these three elements are also seen in Abraham's journey this morning. First of all, every journey with God involves faith. You cannot have a journey with God and not involve faith. Secondly, what I've discovered is the journey is as important as the destination. And that often God is at work in the journey and what he is doing as we're learning to journey in faith is every bit as important as the destination to which we come. And the third aspect is it's important to have a heavenly vision guiding you on your earthly journey. Now, in the chapter we've read from Genesis, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, leave your people and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, Abraham is invited by God to take a journey, and God promises him that if Abraham will go, he will get a land, a posterity, a great name, and will have universal influence. Through him, all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Now, amazingly, to me, Abraham responds, and he sets out to follow the Lord. Because at this point, Abram didn't know God. He was a pagan, but yet God chose him to bless all the families of the earth. And Abram, with the faith that he had, says, Lord, I will follow you. Now, Abram was 75 years old. And what amazes me about that is at a time of life when most people are trying hard to hang on to all the security they can get, Abraham steps out in faith, leaves his his kinfolk, leaves his comfortable lifestyle, leaves his very prosperous business and his bright business prospects, basically leaves everything and says, you and me, Lord, let's go and he steps out in faith. Now, it's important to know that as Abraham was giving up things, he was also receiving something. Not receiving something, but receiving someone. And that God promised to be with him every step of the way. And I believe the same is true with our life's journey. You know, as we know the Lord, it doesn't matter where we end up because we know the one we end up with. And as we come to know the Lord, we can have peace and assurance regardless of what's happening in our journey. Well, the God was with Abram. And the question is, does this mean that Abraham's journey was easy? And the answer to that was no. 
And as you think about the journey that you've been on here at Christ Church, think about these last years and the journey that you've been on. Has it been easy? Some things probably were, but a lot of things, I'm sure, were challenging. There were changes. We all love change, right? You know, but God uses change to draw us closer to himself. There were probably challenges of finance and location and doing things differently. And all of these things can take their toll. And so it wasn't always easy for Abraham. But what Abraham discovered is that God was at work through it all. Now there are two things that marked Abraham's journey as he went on. And as we heard in the passage from Genesis, those two things that Abraham used to mark his journey is first of all, his tent. He always lived in a tent. Even when God had him stop for a time in a place, he never built a permanent home, but he always remained living in his tent. The second thing that Abraham did is that he always built an altar, and so his tent and his altar to worship the Lord. Well, what was God up to? Well, I believe that God knew that Abraham needed to learn about the power of faith. Abraham needed to learn that God would be at work in the hard times as well as the good times, and that Abraham needed to have a heavenly vision that would begin to shape his earthly journey. Because unless these things could happen in Abraham's heart, he could not be the kind of person that could change and transform the world. He could not be the kind of person through whom God could bless the families of the earth. Let's look at these three things very quickly. Number one, Abraham needed to discover the power of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, also speaks about Abraham's journey. And it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham didn't have a clue. He'd never been to the place where God was leading him. He didn't even know where that place was. But yet, he stepped out and obeyed. And have you noticed that in the journey of faith, God does not give us a road map with the route highlighted in a yellow marker? What does God do? He says, this is the next step. And so we take the next step. And then he says, okay, now, here's the next step and we take the next step. And each step of the way, we learn to rely on the Lord. And often if God wants to use a people, he takes away the things that we rely on so that we can learn to rely on him. And that's one of the great blessings of a journey. The last parish that I was rector of in California, as I said, was also given the left foot of disfellowship by the Episcopal Church and we were sued, and all of that good stuff. And uh, my wife and I had been away from the parish for a number of years, and when we went back, several of the vestry people who had been very involved in this whole process sought me out after the service and said, Father Ron, there's something we'd like to share with you. And I said, what's that? And they said, we've come to a conclusion. And I said, what's that? And they said, we have decided that even if we got our old building back, and it was exquisite. Even if we got our old building back, we're not at all sure we'd take it. 
And I said, why do you say that? And he said, we've realized now how much we let our building shape our vision for ministry. And now, because we've had to let go of it, we've had to learn to pray differently. We've had to learn to minister differently. We've had to learn to reach out into the community in different ways. And we have grown so much over these last years that we wouldn't trade that for anything. And I said, yes, wow, they get it. They learned how to walk by faith, and they've discovered the Lord's faithfulness. Secondly, not only do we need to discover the power of faith, we need to discover that God is faithful and working at every step of the way. When I was in Mozambique on this mission trip, one of the things that we discovered is as we got into the country, and only about 15% of the people in Mozambique at that time were Christian, so it was overwhelmingly a pagan and animist tribal culture, tribal religion kind of place. And we went in, and as we began to meet with uh, the bishops that were there, as we began to meet with the clergy, what we discovered is even though not a single church had been open for 17 years, you know what happened? The Anglican church had doubled in size. Now think about that. The churches had been closed for 17 years, and the Anglican church had doubled in size. Why? It's because the people had learned to rely in faith on the Lord and learned to step out in faith as a community. What did they do if they couldn't meet in church? Well, they would meet in the middle of the jungle, literally, in the dark of night to hold their church services. They had friends and neighbors in their villages that were hurting. And so they learned to reach out to them and pray for them and to say there's a God who is more powerful than the circumstances that you're going through. There's a God who can give you peace in the midst of difficulty. There's a God who can give you purpose in the midst of chaos. Would you like to meet this God? And they would tell them about Jesus. And people began to come into the jungle. The priests didn't desert their people. Amazing. Humbling. But they literally would live. I met priests that had lived out in the jungle under a tree from place to place for 14 years. Ministering to their people. Guarding the flocks. Discipling the folks. Is it surprising that the church doubled in size? Not at all. Well, I have to tell you that I went into Mozambique thinking that I was going to provide encouragement to these poor, broken people. And what did I find? The strong, committed, motivated people from whom I needed to learn a lot about the life of faith. Well, one of the things that happened while we were there, as we were going from one area to another, is that our mission team was captured by a guerrilla band and we were taken hostage. And we were kept in a village and at that point I was saying, okay, Lord, what's going on? You know, uh, here I am, I'm your servant, right? You're supposed to take care of me. You know, why are you, why are you allowing this to happen? And eventually, the Mozambican army showed up. There was a firefight, and we managed to escape. 
And several days late, we showed up at the cathedral in Shai And what we discovered is all the people that were supposed to be for there for the conference that we were to leave were still there. They had been praying 24 hours a day for several days, not knowing what had happened to us. And the dean of the cathedral came out, gave me a big hug. He'd heard about what had happened. And he said, welcome, brother. Now you understand what our life is like. What message of hope do you have to give us? And he didn't say that in any kind of demeaning way. What he was saying is, what have you learned as a result of the experience you've been through? What can you say that can encourage us now to continue in this kind of environment? And so we talked about God's faithfulness, that God was greater than our circumstances, that God is able to move through difficult times, that faith can stand the, the, the tests that God allows or permits sometimes for various reasons, and that God is able to do amazing things through these difficult circumstances. And we began to talk about Jesus, who suffered for us and knew what our suffering was about. You know, one of the interesting things about discipleship is that you know what one of the main elements of discipleship that's talked about in the New Testament that in our country we almost never talk about, even though it's so central to discipleship in the news? It's suffering. If you were a disciple of Jesus during the time of the New Testament, it was expected that you would suffer. And so learning how to find the Lord in the midst of difficulty was something that every believer had to learn to do. And I believe it was out of that experience that gave them such a powerful witness and testimony to their friends and neighbors. This is the same thing that I think God has been teaching you in different ways as you've been going on your journey. Because I believe that there are all kinds of people in this community that need to know the good news that you have been discovering. That there is a God who cares. That that God is with you no matter if your circumstances are easy or hard. And that that God loves you and is seeking always to bring God's best into your situation. And when people discover people that have been through what they have been through and have a message of hope and encouragement, it's amazing what God begins to do. Well, have you found God to be faithful on your journey as a community here at Christ Church? As I've been in conversation with numbers of folk here, what I've heard is, yes, the Lord has shown up. He has led you, he has guided you, he has blessed you in many, many ways. The third thing is that God wants us to have a heavenly vision to shape our earthly journey. Abraham, even when he arrived in the promised land, it's interestingly, interesting, he still continued to live in a tent. His heart attitude was to keep that tent rather than move into a permanent home. What did the tent symbolize? Well, the tent demonstrated Abraham's relationship to the world. He never built a permanent earthly home. He always lived in a tent. He was merely a sojourner in this world. He was merely a sojourner in this world. He also always built an altar wherever he was. And this was to demonstrate his relationship to God. 
Wherever he wandered, he built an altar. He was committed to seeking first the kingdom of God. And he longed for a heavenly city. The heavenly city that John talks about in the book of Revelation, where John looked up and saw a new heaven and a new earth. And he began to see a city whose architect and builder was God. And that place was the place where God would dwell with his people. And that's the testimony. God is with us. He dwells with his people. We've learned this as a result of our journey. Jesus urged his disciples with this same message to persevere in the faith. He assured us that he's going ahead of us to prepare a place for us, that where he is, we may be also. John, Gospel of John. Apostle Paul had that same idea of having a heavenly vision always before him. Imprisoned and afflicted in Rome, he pressed on, forgetting what lies behind, straining toward what lies ahead, in the conviction that his citizenship was in heaven. Well, at the concluding service in Mozambique, uh, the Archbishop, uh, the Bishop Molisani, had me preach, and we were in a church, uh, one of the buildings that they s- was still there. Uh, there was no glass in any of the buildings. There were shell holes in all the walls. You know, they had put palm fronds on the top where the roof used to be. And we had a wonderful service. 2,000 people gathered, the Africans, you know, I love African worship. You know, it was, it was powerful. And at the end of the service, the senior warden came forward and asked the bishop, Bishop, do you have anything to share with us? And the bishop thought for a moment. He said, yes, there is something I would like to share. And the, arch- and the bishop uh, stood up, and he looked lovingly at the people and said, I'm never coming back to this place. You can imagine the feelings of the senior warden. And he said, why, Bishop? And he says, here we are in this beautiful church gathered around the table of the Lord, praising and worshiping. And your neighboring village, i.e. a group of about 20 to 30,000 people, have no church at all. There's not a single Christian in that village to share with them the good news. How can we be here worshiping the Lord in this beautiful building when they have no one to bring them the good news? Unless you plant a church in that village in the next 12 months, I'm not coming back here. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to do an evangelistic mission, and we'll plant a church. Everyone said, oh, Bishop, yes, yes, we'll plant a church. And they did. On the way out of the, the church, in the recessional, the bishop leaned over to me, and he smiled. In the last nine months, we've planted 52 churches. And then he smiled, and he leaned over, and he said to me, sometimes the people of God need to be reminded of who they are. And I've always remembered that, and I've always kept that in my mind in my own ministry. Sometimes we need to be reminded. And that's why these three aspects of the journey of faith are so important. That journeying with God involves faith. Faith brings us closer to the Lord. Faith allows God to shape us to be the kinds of people he can use. Secondly, faith begins to help us see how God is present in the good and the hard times of our journey. 
And thirdly, when we begin to step out in faith and discover that God is faithful and is in the midst of the whole journey, as we have that heavenly vision, we are motivated to share the good news of that vision that we have in Jesus, that vision of his kingdom, that vision of the difference that the life of faith can make for those who do not yet know him. Now, I heard through the grapevine, and you need to know that by and large, you'd be amazed at how much the bishop knows about different churches. I'm not omnipotent, but I still find out a lot. And what I discovered is that back in in December of 2007, when Bishop Martin Mins was here, and Martin is a good friend of mine, that he installed Bishop Gene as your new pastor. Not uh, Father Gene as, as your new pastor. And he said something to you that was so meaningful, you even put it on your coffee cup. Do you remember what it was? Each one reach one in three years. Each one reach one in three years. That would be my encouragement. As we celebrate this first Sunday in your new home, remember that this is merely part of the journey. Keep the heavenly vision of Christ and his kingdom before you. And step out in faith and say, Lord, how can I be one who can reach one with your love? I'll be coming back, and I'll ask, have you been doing it? What have you been learning? It may not always be easy, because as we step out in faith in those areas, there's all kinds of things we have to learn. And what I know is I'm excited to be a part of this diocese where we're going to learn how to do this more and more so that we can make a greater difference in the communities where God has placed us. May the Lord continue to bless you on your journey. And may, as you step out in faith, see God move in amazing power. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it is a joy to be here on this very, very special day. Uh, My name is Bishop Ron Jackson. I've been a bishop now for, what, four weeks, five weeks? And uh, week before last, I was in Maine with my mentor bishop, and his job was to tell me all the things a bishop's supposed to know, but no one thought to mention. <laughs> and so uh, I'm still learning and growing, I'm sure, and will continue to be doing that uh, as we go on. I'd like to introduce my wife, Patty. Patty, if you want to wave your hand. <laughs> Praise God. She's my partner in ministry in more than one way. I have a friend in Tennessee who said of his wife, I overmarried, and so I feel (laughs) the same way. But what I want to speak about this morning is journeying with God, because you all have been on a journey with the Lord over these last years. I know a little bit about journeying because I'm an Army brat. My father was an officer in the Army. I went to 13 schools before I graduated from high school. And so if you say, where are you from? I'll say yes. (laughs) And uh, the other thing is I've also been a missionary overseas and pastored local parishes here in numbers of places in the United States. 
And one of the places that had a huge impact on my life was uh, St. Luke's in Bath, Ohio, where I worked with uh, Chuck Irish from 78 to 83. And so coming back to Ohio is really coming home for us. And we feel so fortunate to get to be here and to be part of the diocese and all that God is doing. But what I want to talk about is, again, journeying. Because in the first lesson we heard from the book of Genesis, God invites Abraham to take a trip. Now, how many of you would be excited that God would come to you and say, I've got a plan for your life. Come and take a trip with me. Now, I have to admit that uh, I would probably say, well, tell me more. You know, <laughs> Lay it out for me a bit more completely. And this is the amazing thing about uh, Abraham, because God called it, told him to go to a place that he had never been to. In fact, he didn't even know where the promised land was. But the Lord said, come with me. Now, I've been on numbers of missionary journeys, and one of the journeys I was asked to take uh, was to the country of Mozambique. And Mozambique is in the southern tip of Africa. Uh, at that time, it was the poorest country on the face of the earth. I think the annual average income was about $90 a year. Uh, a place of great poverty. Uh, I was asked to go there because Mozambique had been under communist dictatorship for about 17 or 18 years. And at that time, when the communists took over, they shut, literally shut down every single church in Mozambique. And not one church service was allowed to be held in those buildings for 17 years. And I was asked to lead a team into Mozambique to meet with clergy, to to see what congregations were there, to see what shape the church was in. And so it was my privilege. And we literally would sleep in the jungle, we would sleep on the ground, we'd have maybe a little bit of rice and some gruel each day because that was all they had. And it was an amazing experience being with these people of God. Well, one of the things that happened is at the end of, the, the, of our time there, they decided to have a feast. Now, by that time, you can imagine, I heard the word feast, and I got excited. And then the bishop told me that as the head of the mission team, because I was the chief, there were certain tribal customs that they would follow, and he just wanted me to know about it. And at first, I thought he was kidding, but then, lo and behold, it was true. And so, at the dinner, what made it a feast is they had a little goat. And we had had this cute little goat out in the village compound. And we came back that afternoon, and he was no longer there. And so they had barbecued him. And my privilege as the chief was I, they had this big procession. And on this plate, they had the head and the hooves of the goat. And it was my privilege as the chief of the team to get to eat the head and the hooves. And I was really blessed that God was blessing me <laughs> in this way. <laughs> and so I claim Mark 16, which says you can eat poison and it won't harm you. And, you know, uh, I said, okay, Lord, if they can eat it, I can. And so they busted open the head and I had to eat the brains and the eyes and the tongue. And at that point, my enthusiasm for this exercise was wearing thin. <laughs> and I said, Lord, what do I do? Because I didn't have a clue what to do with the hooves. And said, I prayed, and I said, Lord, show me what to do. And the Holy Spirit fell 
It's amazing where God will answer prayer. Because I had this inspiration, and I said, Bishop Singulani, can I share a word? And the bishop said, please do. And I thanked the people for their hospitality. I thanked them for the, the wonderful way they had given of their best to us as a mission team. And I said, and in symbol of the fact that we are partners in ministry, I would like to share the hook with the person on my right and the hook with the person on my left, who are both Mozambicans. And then I sat down and everyone stood and applauded me for my graciousness. <laughs> and what they do is they crack open the bones and they suck out the marrow, so I learned. Well, God has his ways of leading us into all kinds of things we never anticipated when we begin to follow him. And what I've learned over the years, both in mission work and as being a parish priest, because each of our parishes has also been on a journey, as I know you as a congregation have been on a journey. And there are three things that have been constant throughout my years of ministry when we talk about journeying with the Lord. The first thing is that every journey with God involves faith. We ne we're not quite sure where it's going to lead. We're not quite sure all that's going to happen. And so faith is critical. Hebrews says, without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. And so learning to travel by faith is crucial. Secondly, I've learned that the journey is as important as the destination. Because it's in the journey as we're learning to what? Take a step of faith and walk by faith that God begins to shape us and equip us for things that we're not even aware of, that he's preparing us for things that he has in mind. And so the journey is a very critical part of that shaping of our lives, both individually and as a congregation. And so faith is important. The journey is as important as the destination. But I've also learned it's important to have a heavenly vision to guide you on your earthly journey. Why would I go to Mozambique? Well, it was because there was a kingdom vision. It was because these were our Anglican brothers and sisters. It's because it was all about the kingdom of God, and we were brothers and sisters together in the kingdom. And it was important to find out what God had been doing there. Well, in Genesis 12, the Lord says to Abram, Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And so with every journey, there's a leaving as well as a grasping hold of certain things. And so on your journey, back when you were in Bay Village, you had to leave certain things, but one of the assurances is that you were able to grab hold of certain things. And God invites Abraham to leave his land, but he promises him a land, a posterity, that Abraham would have a great name, and that Abraham would have a universal influence that through him all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so amazingly, not knowing where he was going, Abraham at this point's name was Abram. He was not of the Jewish people. He was a pagan. And God shows up and speaks to him. And with the faith that he has, he responds and leaves everything. Abraham was 75 years old, and he sets out, on this journey to a land he knows nothing about. And what amazes me about Abraham is at an age when most people are trying to grab hold of as much security as they can get, he leaves everything. He leaves his security, he leaves his family, his kinfolk, his comfortable lifestyle, he leaves his home, he leaves his very prosperous business 
to simply step out in faith and follow the Lord. But as he's leaving these things, he's also given a reassurance where the Lord says to him, Abram, I will be with you every step of the way. I will be with you. It doesn't matter that you don't know where you'll end because you'll know who you end up with because I will be with you. Now, God was with Abraham. Does that mean his journey was easy? No. But what it does mean is that no matter if the highs and lows, no matter if the good times and the hard times were happening, through it all, God would be present. And that's one of the things that Abraham needed to learn. There were two things which marked Abram's journey as he went and learned to walk by faith. Again and again, it says, Abram, first of all, lived in a tent, and secondly, wherever he stopped and pitched his tent, he built an altar. And these two things marked his life. But what was God up to? Well, he was using the journey he was calling Abram to, to shape Abram to be the kind of person that could bless the world. And as we're celebrating this first Sunday here in Christ Church, one of the things that I could ask you to reflect on is how has God shaped you as a community during these last years where you've been journeying from place to place to shape you as a community? Have there been lessons that you've learned about prayer? Has there been experiences, have there been experiences of faith that have encouraged you? Have you discovered God's presence even when things seemed hard and you didn't know what the next step was? How has God shaped you as a community? Now, I suspect that your journey is even as important as the time that we're celebrating today in this new building. To be a world changer, God knew Abraham needed to learn, first of all, the power of faith, secondly, that God would be at work throughout the journey, and thirdly, that Abraham would have a heavenly vision that would shape his earthly journey. And let's look at these three things very quickly. First of all, Abraham needed to discover the power of faith. In the New Testament, it also talks about this journey of Abraham. In Hebrews 11:8 says, by, Abraham, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, one of the things that I know about Father Gene is over these last years, he always knew how things were going to work out. <laughs> he always knew the next step. <laughs> would that be right, Father Gene? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> no, not quite. He was learning the lessons of faith, and he is a man of prayer, and he is a man of faith. And I don't know if you're like me, but I've noticed that when God calls us to this journey of faith, he never gives us a map with the whole route highlighted in yellow. It's always step by step. And there's two things that happen when we learn to walk by faith. The first thing is God brings us to a place of intimacy with himself so that we come to trust him. And the second thing is God begins to shape us so that we can become the kind of people that are trustworthy. God shapes us so that we learn to trust him, and he shapes us so that we can be trustworthy. When I was in my last parish in California, one of the things that happened is God called Patty and I to go to England 
and to be missionaries there, and it's a long story. But we had to leave our congregation where I'd been the pastor for 17 years. Uh, I'm sorry, Christ Church, but I was absolutely convinced that was the best congregation in all of the Anglican Communion. We loved the people. They loved us. We were excited about what God was doing. Uh, we were kicked out of our church by the diocese, and we're all sued and, you know, all the good stuff that happened. And uh, as we came back from England, I was talking uh, back at my former parish, uh, I was talking with several of the vestry members, and they said, you know, Father Ron, we've come to a conclusion. And I said, what's that? And they said, well, even if we got our old church building back, and it was absolutely exquisite, I mean, it was unbelievable. He said, even if we got our building back, we're not sure that we'd take it. And I said, really? I said, why is that? And he said, well, we've realized how much our faith walk and how much our ministry was determined by the building. We spent so much time focusing on the building. Now that we don't have it, we've had to learn to pray differently. We've had to learn to worship differently. We've had to learn to reach out into the community in different ways. We've had to learn to rely on each other in the body of Christ as brothers and sisters in a different way. They said, we have grown and matured so much in our walk that we don't ever want to go back spiritually to where we were before. We want to press on because we know that God has good things in store. And inside my heart was going, yes, they get it. It's not about the building, you know. The Episcopal Church can have the steeple, but God has the people. Forgive me, you didn't hear me say that. <laughs> we pray blessings. We do pray, Lord. But the thing that they were saying is that in their journey of faith, they had found the Lord to be faithful, that he had taught them so many things that in their journey of faith, they had discovered a way of responding where I believe God knew they were trustworthy. And the congregation is growing and is prospering in many, many wonderful ways. And they still don't have a church building that they call their own. Well, faith, the power of faith, is absolutely critical. And we discover that God is faithful throughout the journey. Well, one of the things that happened on this time in Mozambique is that I have to confess, sadly, that I was going over there thinking that I was going to be a person that was going to help them out. You know, we often have that idea when you're a missionary, you know. And as I got to Mozambique, and as we began to journey around and meet with people and discover what was there and so forth and so on, one of the things that we began to realize as we began to keep records of what was going on is that in Mozambique, where only 15% of the people were Christian, the Anglican Church, during the time when the churches were closed, the Anglican Church had doubled in size. Think about that. The church, the Anglican Church in Mozambique, had doubled in size. Why do you think that was so? It was because the people had to take their faith from the church and begin to live it out 
in the community. And what they would do, they had some incredible priests, clergy there, who did not abandon their people when the communists took over. But I met clergy who literally had been living under trees in the jungle for 12, 13, 14 years to be with their people. And at night, at 1 a.m., whatever, the people would quietly come and they would have their worship service and they would have communion. And what began to happen is that they found the power and strength not in going to church, but in being the church, the body of Christ. And their friends who weren't Christians saw that these Christians had a peace, that regardless of what was going on, they had something that gave them a stability in the midst of a very chaotic situation. And they began to ask questions. And these wonderful Anglican brothers and sisters began to share the gospel with their friends. And what happened to the church? It doubled in size. It doubled in size. There was one young deacon that I met, 21 years old, had been conscripted into the communist army and was not a really great place to be. And the stories that others told me about him is that in his army unit, he led every other person quietly to the Lord and established a church in the middle of a communist army unit. Now, I was coming to try and encourage them in the faith. I didn't realize how much I needed their encouragement. They had an experience of the faith which I desperately needed. One of the things that happened while we were going from one area of Mozambique to another is that our mission team was taken captive by a group of insurgents, and we were held hostage. And we were on our way to Shai Shai, which is a city to the cathedral. And uh, we were taken hostage. We were held. Uh, things were going on. Eventually, a couple of days, the Mozambican army showed up, and there was a firefight, and in the midst of the firefight, we were able to escape and make it to the cathedral in Shai Well, we arrived, it was like two in the morning, and everyone who was there, whether it was supposed to be at this mission conference, was still there. They were waiting for us. They didn't know what happened, but they had been praying for us. And so the dean of the cathedral said, welcome, brothers, come. What happened? He told me. We told him. And then he said, oh, wonderful. <laughs> and I said, why is that? And he says, now you understand what our life is like. What has God taught you so that you can give us a word of encouragement? Because now you understand. And so we were able to talk about the presence of the Lord, even in the midst of anxiety. We were able to talk about the certainty of Christ, even in the uncertainty of the situation of our environment at that time. We were able to talk about the peace and presence that passes all understanding. And we really, it was amazing. We were absolutely peaceful about this whole thing. And bit by bit, the power of the Holy Spirit was released, and renewal began to happen in that part of Mozambique. You see, God uses everything on the journey. There were lessons our team had to learn. And the people listened to us. 
because they knew we understood their lives and their suffering. Now, the reason why I think this is important is because I believe that there are lessons many of you have learned in your own life. Maybe as you've gone through illness or crises in your family. There are lessons which you have learned as a church. And there are people in the surrounding community that are hungering for a word of hope. A word which you have because you have found the Lord to be faithful in the situations that you have gone through. There are families falling apart. There are people caught in addiction. They need to know there is a God who heals. There's a community of love that supports people who are having their lives transformed. There are people who need words of encouragement because they are discouraged. And God has shaped you and given you a word that those around you desperately need. In a world where life is filled with uncertainty, we have a God who can give hope when things seem hopeless. Well, the third thing is not only having faith, not only recognizing that the journey is as important as the destination, but it's also recognizing the importance of having a heavenly vision. And Abram's faith went well beyond what he experienced in his earthly life. He had a heavenly vision of a permanent, eternal home whose architect and builder was God. He saw a new heaven and a new earth, as the Apostle John describes in the book of Revelation, where a city, a home, had come down from heaven. And it was a place where it w- the city was a bride beautifully prepared for her husband, a place where the dwelling of God would be with men, a place where God literally would be present with his people. Now, two things helped Abram keep this heavenly vision as he journeyed. The first was his tent, and the second was his altar. His tent demonstrated his relationship to the world. He never built a permanent earthly home. Even when the Lord had Abram stop for a significant period of time, Abraham still lived in a tent. He always lived as a sojourner in this world. And that's what we are called to do. We are a pilgrim people. We are called to be sojourners in this world. We're longing for a heavenly city that we do not yet have. The altar demonstrated Abram's relationship with God. And wherever he wandered, he built an altar because he was committed to seeking first the kingdom of God. He longed for that heavenly city. And this is what Jesus used to urge his disciples to persevere in the faith. He gave them and gives us this same vision. He assured them that he was going before them to prepare a place for them and would come again to take them to be with him in a heavenly kingdom. The same vision motivated the Apostle Paul when he was imprisoned and afflicted in Rome. Paul writes, he pressed on, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead in the conviction that his citizenship was in heaven. We are the kind of people that have a heavenly citizenship even while we live in this earth. And so Jesus said, when you pray, pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was saying, keep that heavenly vision before you always. The final service in Mozambique 
concluding service was uh, an amazing time because we were in this village out in the jungle in a church, about 2,000 people crammed in this building. Uh, the church building, all the windows were blown out. There were shell holes in all the walls. You know, they had put palm branches on where the roof should have been. But there was wonderful worship. If you've ever been to Africa, they know how to worship the Lord, and it was powerful. And the bishop had me preached, and so I preached, and we had a great time. And at the end of the service, the senior warden of this congregation came up and said, Bishop Singulani, do you have a word that you would share with our congregation? Because the bishop had not preached. And the bishop was quiet for a moment, and he looked at them and said, yes, I do have a word for you. And the senior warden said, Bishop, please share with us what you would like to say. And so Bishop Singulani got up, and he stood in front of the congregation. He put his hands behind his back, and he looked at them. And lovingly, he said, I am never coming back here. And you could see the senior warden in horror, saying, why, Bishop? Why aren't you coming back? And the bishop looked at them and said, here we've been in this beautiful church, worshiping, celebrating the Lord's Supper, enjoying fellowship. And you have a neighboring village, i.e. 20 to 30,000 people, where there's not a single church, and there isn't a single Christian in that village to share the good news of Jesus with them. How can we stay here when they have no one? If you do not plant a church in the next 12 months, I'm not coming back here. I'm going to go there. And I'm going to have an evangelistic mission. And I'm going to bring some folks. And we will plant a church. And the senior warden, I guess, looked at the vestry and they looked at each other. And they said, yes, Bishop, we, we, we will do that. And it was amazing. This is the kind of word that Sean likes, right? because Christ Church has helped plant other churches. But I would believe that God has even more in store for you. And the thing that began to happen as we walked out of that church service, uh, they were singing, and the bishop quietly leaned over and with a smile on his face said, you need to realize, Father Ron, that we have planted 52 churches in the last nine months. And then he smiled and said, Sometimes the people of God just need to be reminded of who they are. I've never forgotten that when I brought that into my ministry. We need to remember who we are as God's people. Now, I happen to know that as bishop, you see, bishops know all kinds of things you don't know I know about you. <laughs> and back in the late 70s, Bishop Martin Mintz, who's a good friend of mine, installed Father Gene as your pastor. And at that service, Bishop Martin gave an admonition or an exhortation, an encouragement to you as a congregation. And it was such a wonderful one that you put it on your coffee mugs. And do you remember what it was? 
Each one, reach one in three years. Each one, reach one in three years. And my encouragement to you is that even as you are using, moving into this wonderful new place as your new church home, that the attitude of your heart is that you're still living in a tent. That God has given you this place for a purpose. My other encouragement is that you would continue to walk by faith. Not that you would move into this place That God has blessed you to be a blessing to others. And the journey of faith, in some ways, now that you have this new base of ministry, this place where you've pitched your tent, God has amazing things, I believe, in store for you. And I am so excited, as the bishop, as your bishop, to get to walk with you in some way as part of that journey. The Lord is going to do amazing things in our diocese and in this parish. And so my encouragement is to keep Christ's heavenly vision always before you. Keep the vision before you, not just when you gather around the Lord's table, but keep the vision before you. Sometimes the people of God just need to remember who they are, that we're not called to go to church, but to be the church that the Lord is with us, that the Lord has been faithful to us, that the Lord has empowered us and give us a witness and a testimony to be able to share with others in the community who do not yet know him. The journey continues, and it's going to be good because the Lord is faithful. Amen.